Section 50 of The Valley of the Moon by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 3, Chapter 15. Ever north, through a flat and flourishing rejuvenated land, stopping at the towns of Willows, Red Bluff, and Redding, crossing the counties of Calusa, Glen, Tehama, and Shasta, went the spruce wagon drawn by the dappled chestnuts with cream-colored manes and tails. Billy picked up only three horses for shipment, although he visited many farms, and Saxon talked with the women while he looked over the stock with the men. And Saxon grew the more convinced that the valley she sought lay not there. At Reading they crossed the Sacramento on a cable ferry and made a day's scorching traverse through rolling foothills and flat tablelands. The heat grew more insupportable, and the trees and shrubs were blasted and dead. Then they came again to the Sacramento, where the great smelters of Kennet explained the destruction of the vegetation. They climbed out of the smelting town, where airy houses perched insecurely on precipitous landscape. It was a broad, well-engineered road, that took them up a grade miles long and plunged down into the canyon of the Sacramento. The road, rock-surfaced and easy-graded, hewn out of the canyon wall, grew so narrow that Billy worried for fear of meeting opposite-bound teams. Far below, the river frothed and flowed over pebbly shallows or broke tumultuously over boulders and cascades in its race for the great valley they had left behind. Sometimes on the wider stretches of the road, Saxon drove and Billy walked to lighten the load. She insisted on taking her turns at walking, and when he breathed the panting mares on the steep, and Saxon stood by their heads caressing them and cheering them, Billy's joy was too deep. For any turn of speech, as he gazed at his beautiful horses and his glowing girl, trim and colorful, in her golden-brown corduroy, the brown corduroy calves swelling sweetly under the abbreviated slim skirt. And when her answering look of happiness came to him, a sudden dimness in her straight gray eyes, he was overmastered by the knowledge that he must say something or burst. "'Oh, you kid!' he cried. With a radiant face, she answered, "'Oh, you kid!' They camped one night in a deep dent in the canyon, where was snuggled a box factory village, and where a toothless ancient, gazing with faded eyes at their traveling outfit, asked, Be you showin'? They passed Castle Crags, mighty bastioned, and glowing red against the palpitating blue sky. They caught their first glimpse of Mount Shasta, a rose-tinted snow peak, rising a sunset dream. Between and beyond, green interlacing walls of canyon, a landmark destined to be with them for many days. At unexpected turns, after mounting some steep grade, Shasta would appear again, still distant, now showing two peaks and glacial fields of shimmering white. Miles and miles and days and days they climbed, with Shasta ever developing new forms and phases in her summer snows. A moving picture in the sky, said Billy at last. 
Oh, it is all so beautiful, sighed Saxon. But there are no moon valleys here. They encountered a plague of butterflies, and for days drove through untold billions of the fluttering beauties that covered the road with uniform velvet brown. And ever the road seemed to rise under the noses of the snorting mares, filling the air with noiseless flight, drifting down the breeze in clouds of brown and yellow, soft-flaked as snow, and piling in mounds against the fences, ever driven to float helplessly on the irrigation ditches along the roadside. Hazel and Hattie soon grew used to them, though Possum never ceased being made frantic. Ah, who ever heard a butterfly broke horses, Billy chafed? That's worth fifty bucks more on their price. Wait till you get across the Oregon line into the Rogue River Valley, they were told. There's God's paradise, climate scenery, and fruit farming, fruit ranches that yield two hundred percent on a valuation of five hundred dollars an acre. Gee, Billy said, when he had driven on out of hearing, that's too rich for our digestion. And Saxon said, I don't know about apples in the Valley of the Moon, but I do know that the yield is ten thousand percent of happiness on a valuation of one Billy, one Saxon, a Hazel, a Hattie, and a Possum. Through Siskiyou County and across the high mountains, they came to Ashland and Medford and camped beside the wild Rogue River. This is wonderful and glorious, pronounced Saxon, but it is not the Valley of the Moon. No, it ain't the Valley of the Moon, agreed Billy, and he said it on the evening of the day he hooked the monster steelhead, standing to his neck in the ice-cold water of the Rogue and fighting for forty minutes with screaming reel, ere he drew his finny prize to the bank and with the scalp yell of a Comanche jumped and clutched it by the gills. Them that looks, finds, predicted Saxon, as they drew north out of Grant's Pass and held north across the mountains and fruitful Oregon valleys. One day in camp by the Umpqua River, Billy bent over to begin skinning the first deer he had ever shot. He raised his eyes to Saxon and remarked, If I didn't know California, I guess Oregon would suit me from the ground up. In the evening, replete with deer meat, resting on his elbow and smoking his after-supper cigarette, he said, Maybe there ain't no valley of the moon, and if there ain't, what of it? We could keep on this way forever. I don't ask nothing better. There is a valley of the moon, Saxon answered soberly, and we are going to find it. We've got to. Why, Billy, it would never do, never, to settle down. There would be no little Hazels and little Hatties, nor little Billies. Nor little Saxons, Billy interjected. Nor little Possums, she hurried on, nodding her head and reaching out a caressing hand to where the Fox Terrier was ecstatically gnawing a deer rib. A vicious snarl and a wicked snap that barely missed her fingers were her reward. Possum, she cried in sharp reproof, again extending her hand. Don't, Billy warned. He can't help it. And he's likely to get you next time. Even more compelling was the menacing threat that Possum growled, his jaws close guarding 
the bone, eyes blazing insanely, his hair rising stiffly on his neck. It's a good dog that sticks up for its bone, Billy championed. I wouldn't care to own one that didn't. But it's my possum, Saxon protested, and he loves me. Besides, he must love me more than an old bone, and he must mind me. Here, you possum, give me that bone. Give me that bone, sir. Her hand went out gingerly, and the growl rose in volume and key till it culminated in a snap. I tell you it's instinct, Billy repeated. He does love you, but he just can't help doing it. He's got a right to defend his bones from strangers, but not from his mother, Saxon argued. I shall make him give up that bone to me. Fox Terriers is awful high strung, Saxon. You're likely to get him hysterical. But she was obstinately set in her purpose. She picked up a short stick of firewood. Now, sir, give me that bone. She threatened with the stick, and the dog's growling became ferocious. Again he snapped, then crouched back over his bone. Saxon raised the stick as if to strike him, and he suddenly abandoned the bone, rolled over on his back at her feet, forelegs in the air, his ears lying meekly back, his eyes swimming and eloquent with submission and appeal. My God, Billy breathed in solemn awe, look at it, presenting his solar plexus to you, his vitals and his life, all defenses down, as much as saying, here I am, stamp on me, kick the life out of me, I love you, I am your slave, but I just can't help defending my bone, my instincts stronger than me, kill me, but I can't help it. Saxon was melted. Tears were in her eyes as she stooped and gathered the might of an animal in her arms. Possum was in a frenzy of agitation, whining, trembling, writhing, twisting, licking her face, all for forgiveness. Heart of gold, with a rose in his mouth, Saxon crooned, burying her face in the soft, quivering bundle of sensibilities. Mother is sorry. She'll never bother you again that way. There, there, little love, see, there's your bone, take it. She put him down, but he hesitated between her and the bone, patently looking to her for surety of permission, yet continuing to tremble in the terrible struggle between duty and desire that seemed tearing him asunder. Not until she repeated that it was all right and nodded her head, consentingly, did he go to the bone. At once, a minute later, he raised his head with a sudden startle and gazed inquiringly at her. She nodded and smiled, and Possum, with a happy sigh of satisfaction, dropped his head down to the precious deer rib. That Mercedes was right when she said men fought over jobs like dogs over bones, Billy enunciated slowly. It's instinct. Why I couldn't no more help reaching my fist to the point of a scab's jaw, then could Possum from snapping at you. There's no explaining it. What a man has to, he has to. The fact that he does a thing shows he had to do it, whether he can explain it or not. You remember Hall couldn't explain why he stuck that stick between Timothy McManus's legs in the foot race. 
What a man has to, he has to. That's all I know about it. I never had no earthly reason to beat up that lodger we had, Jimmy Harmon. He was a good guy, square and all right. But I just had to, with the strike going to smash and everything so bitter inside me that I could taste it. I never told you, but I saw him once after I got out, when my arms was mending. I went down to the roundhouse and waited for him to come in off a run and apologized to him. Now why did I apologize? I don't know, except for the same reason I punched him. I just had to. And so Billy expounded the why of like in terms of realism. In the camp by the Umpqua River, while Possum expounded it, in similar terms, a fang and appetite on the rib of a deer. End of section 50